Welcome to the Calvary Cast, a podcast from Calvary Bible Church in Grand Junction, Colorado. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of His people, and the Great Commission. Hello there, listeners of the Calvary Cast. We're coming to you live today from CBC Studio A, also known as Graham's office. Is mine Studio B? Maybe? uh, Yeah, or Z. Or C, yeah. We actually did record there first back in the day. We did, actually, yeah, right. back That's in the day. The worst podcast that quality, sound quality-wise came from there. That we Those moved. first few, yeah. Right. Wyatt has pictures of that day, though. Uh, yeah. But here's the Monumental. thing, Wyatt, my son, oh, we've jumped right in. We've just bypassed it. the introduction. I'm That's grand. okay. Yeah. So You're Jess, by the way. Uh, yep, that's right. But um, Wyatt, at our house the other day, Calista happened to be over and... Close and wide are my kids for anybody that doesn't know <laughs> that. Know that. Doesn't but anyway, so Wyatt started playing our podcasts. Good for him. And they were making fun of us. <laughs> I just want you to know, don't you know so don't be self conscious. Yeah. But they're laughing at so us. So funny, uh while we're talking about uh kids, funny thing. So today at lunch, my oldest son, uh he said to me, Well our our daughter, Nora, came out and said Dad, I just put on my old lady lipstick. Which for some reason she has chapstick. She calls old lady chapstick <laughs> lipstick. And uh, so she does that and she'll come out. I put my old lady lipstick on. And uh, then Silas looks at me and goes, Dad, today I, on your next podcast, you should talk about Nora's old lady lipstick because it's funny. Yeah, there you go. So now we <laughs> So we did. did. <laughs> it is funny. And so only old ladies wear chapstick. Or I don't know. I don't know why she came up with the old lady that's pretty funny. Lipstick I was uh, talking to your kids yesterday at the church while you guys were in music. Yeah. And um, they were playing with a ball and it had Disney characters all over it. So yeah. I asked them about, do you like Disney? And that asked them if they had seen yeah. certain movies like Toy Story and stuff. And it led into the conversation about uh, going to Disneyland. <laughs> and they are excited and amped about going to Disneyland because I was telling them about it. and then <laughs> You're setting like, up things I yeah. cannot do. <laughs> oh, they are excited. So, and to let the listeners know, Graham is anti-Disney, or to an extent, no. like going to Disneyland. You don't I don't see the, the, I guess, uh, and people say it's because I didn't go, that's why I don't value it. Uh, we, we should do a whole podcast on should you take we your should. kids to Disneyland or But not. here's what we do. I'll take your kids, you pay for it. <laughs> I'll I take your think, kids to Disneyland. No. I want to see their faces light uh, up when they, I was telling yeah. them about like the Peter Pan ride and the Pirates of the Caribbean and That's they like are the excited. worst thing ever because I'm sure that they would love it. I don't oh, doubt that, it. but I don't want you to get the joy from that while oh. I'm footing the well, bill. I want you to go. I want oh, you to go. That's oh, okay. fine. And I won't go with you then. Oh, I'm yeah. just saying like, that'd but if weird. you're not going to take your kids, if you're going to be that abusive to your children oh, and not wow. give them the Disney experience, then I am going to wow. I'll take your kids. Wow. But you got to pay for All it. All right. We want to hear from the listeners. Should I take my kids to Disneyland or not? And if so, will you start the GoFundMe? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You do need a GoFundMe for Disney. <laughs> For most income <laughs> levels. It isn't a just, let's go yeah. to Disney. All right, kids, let's load up the 16-passenger van, and here we go. I know. But that was a good conversation I had with them, and I just that's thought I'd let you know, because I kept Thank telling you. them, go tell your dad go you want to go to dad. Disney. 
Don't stop saying it until he takes you. Oh, man. That's funny. Anyway. Anyway. That's not what we're talking about. We're not actually going to debate the finer points of whether we should go to Disney or not. Nope. We are are talking today about... We've been reading a book called In My Place Condemned He Stood, Celebrating the Glory of the Atonement. It is a collection of essays written by J.I. Packer and then one essay by Mark Dever. Um, J.I. Packer one of my favorite like theologians i think yeah probably best most known for knowing god knowing god that was decades old classic christian book and so i'll just can i read their little bios here from the inside okay jaya packer currently serves as a professor of theology at regent college in vancouver british columbia uh dr packer has written numerous books including knowing god and he served as general editor for the english standard version bible published by Crossway. And then Mark Dever is senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church, Washington, D.C., and executive director of Nine Marks, a ministry for pastors and local churches. Both solid guys that we appreciate. Both solid guys that we appreciate. We will will put the link, as they say, in podcast lingo for the book in our show notes, as they say, in podcast lingo. And you should go buy a copy of this book and read it along with us because we're going to spend probably the next four-ish episodes walking through this. There's, I think, four different essays in here. And what this book is talking about is the atonement Mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus Christ made for us. So we want to just, we're going to start with the first uh, chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, which is called The Heart of the Gospel. And it is actually a chapter that is in the book Knowing God. And uh, we're just going to discuss some of the things that are in that. Right. So we should talk about atonement yes. first. We just we decided we would just mention a few things about that. What right. is the atonement? What is the atonement? And I think uh, the atonement is kind of the umbrella term for everything that Christ was doing for us at the cross, right? It's right. really the study of of what God was doing for us in Christ at the cross to save us from our sins to give us eternal life, and to bring us in r- eternal and right relationship with himself. So um, in the atonement is kind of the broad heading for that, but when you think of the atonement, or as I think of the atonement, I am just mainly focused in on, on the cross itself right. at this point. And underneath the atonement, then, we have lots of other things related to it. So when we think about redemption, the purchasing of uh, a sinner from the slave market of sin, reconciliation, uh, peace with God, forgiveness uh, of sin, forgiveness of sin, the adoption. technical terms of expiation for sin. We'll talk a little bit about yes. that, and then propitiation, propitiation, which is really the topic of the first chapter right. of the book. And that's really what we what we want to talk about mainly today is this idea of propitiation. Uh, what is propitiation? Right. Well, before I answer, let me say Kay. one more thing. We think about atonement and the cross of Christ, and the reason we're encouraging a book like this. Because there is a lot to be said, or a lot, the scripture speaks much to the cross and everything it meant. It is true that in the gospel, like if we were to define the gospel as Paul did in 1 Corinthians 15, he's, he just summarized it by saying that Christ died for our sins. But the more we look into the, into the Bible about what that means. What does that mean he died for our sins? That's where we start getting into these doctrines of expiation, propitiation, everything that is secured and what was happening on the cross. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. what we, what we want to do is really encourage people to 
have a robust understanding of the exactly. atonement. Exactly. Yeah. It is the central feature of the of the entire Bible. And and to to tack onto that now uh, a little bit more, the uh, a doctrines like this should they do move us to worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we understand more fully what Christ has done for us, uh, the the magnitude of it, the depth of it, it should move us to worship. And as I was even thinking practically about that, we sing songs that deal about the atonement, uh, the work of Christ. When I understand now what those songs are conveying, uh, it again, it'll move my heart because not only do I fully understand the truth combined with this emotion of the melody, uh, I can give praise to God for that. That's right. And it helps you understand the Bible. Right. Because even right now, as part of my Bible reading plan, I'm in Leviticus. Yes. I'm learning about all these bloody <clears throat> sacrifices of animals being slaughtered and um, everything that's happening to them. Well, when I understand the bigger picture that that's pointing to the death of Christ and uh, the atonement itself, it gives it meaning. And you can see Jesus in Leviticus. Right. You know? Dying for our sins and and that so spending time studying the atonement I think is is essential and not just being satisfied with Christ died for our sins right. but really thinking through what does that mean yeah and that's what we'll be looking at in the next number of weeks with this book yeah so what is propitiation so the idea of propitiation is. Um, it was used in uh, everyday language of the idea of uh, averting anger or wrath. Um, so, uh, in a lot of times it was used in pagan religions, right, of a god um, flying off the handle and being angry and the people being kind of in trouble, and so they're like, we got to make him happy right. somehow. So they scramble to find a way to do it, usually through a sacrifice, and then his his anger, his wrath towards them was... Um, propitiated. Right. It was satisfied, and he, he turned away his anger in, in that. There are elements to that that are directly into Christianity when we think about the word propitiation. We're going to deal with, you know, the wrath of God. In propitiation, what are we talking about? The wrath of God being satisfied, the wrath of God towards us for our sins being satisfied um, in Christ at the cross. So part of what Jesus was doing at the cross was satisfying the wrath of God that he had towards us for our sins and um, uh, getting that wrath off of us, right? Averting the yeah. wrath of God. And we sing about that. You mentioned songs. Right. We sing about it in, in Christ alone mm-hmm. where um, we sing, uh, and on that cross, as Jesus died, right. The wrath of God was satisfied. So now, right. from now on, we sing that song at church. Everybody can be like, "Oh, that's, that's propitiation. propitiation," and right. you'll have some verses to actually uh, cling to with that. Right. And and um, it's and not just rhyming and catchy. There's truth behind that. That's right. There's real truth <laughs> right. behind that. So when we deal about with propitiation, then we're obviously dealing with the idea of God's wrath mm-hmm. against sin. Right, and because of that, uh, it's kind of People don't like this doctrine sometimes. That's right. Why don't they like the doctrine? Because they don't like the idea of the wrath of God. Right. <laughs> and I think there's this there's this idea, you know, we hear it in different ways. And this is not new necessarily in, right. in church. It, the, the first chapter brings that out in church history. There have been periods of time where 
theologians have brought into question the whole idea of God's wrath. When we look into Scripture and we see that God is love and He's a God of mercy and grace and kindness and and, and uh, patience and, and gentleness and those mm-hmm. awesome attributes of God, which are 100% true, and then we, we start reading about His anger and His wrath, and um, it can make us uncomfortable. It can seem like, well, that doesn't fit. That right. doesn't seem to fit the love aspect. And so I think in some Christians' minds, the love cancels out the wrath. Right. You have Old Testament God and New Testament God. Right. And the Old Testament God was really angry. Right. All the time. Yeah. And uh, always wanting to blot his people's name right. out of the book of life, right? And yeah. the New Testament God uh, is not like that at all and is just right. kind of a, is, is, uh, doesn't have that wrath. He's just full of love and, um, so I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to that. Yeah. And, and I remember when I was thinking about coming here to Grand Junction uh, to pastor here, and, and we were going through that whole process, I was searching churches in town, pulled up one of the more prominent, bigger churches in town, and I was listening to their pastor teaching. And he was teaching out of Romans, which we'll look at in a minute. And he had come to the topic of the wrath of God, or at least a passage about it. And the way he talked about that made me feel like he was he would rather not be talking about God's wrath, that he was somewhat embarrassed by it, and so he was very sheepish in presenting it and wanting to make sure over and over again he was assuring people of God's love. Mm. And I would say that that is the wrong approach. Right. When we come into the attributes of God, God is God uh, is is that yeah. attribute. Does that make sense? Yeah. That is who he is. Yeah. And God is not ashamed of himself. Yeah. He's not ashamed of wrath and, and his righteous judgment. Right. So when we think about God's wrath, what the author will bring out, and if you read the book, you'll see this, is God's wrath is his righteous response to sin. Yeah. Because God is truly and wholly righteous, He hates and cannot tolerate sin. Hmm. And so his natural reaction to sin is aversion and abhorrence. And his natural reaction to sin is a holy wrath that results in retributive justice. In other words, sin must be punished. I really like this quote. He says on page 35, he says, So far from the manifestation of God's wrath and punishing sin being morally doubtful, the thing that would be morally doubtful would be for him not to show his wrath in this right way. So, you know, for people that are, we're trying to to uh, couch the wrath of God in more palatable language, or uh, uh, say that the wrath of God is is uh, lesser than other characteristics of it, you that that that's not true. And then he goes on and he says, God is not just. That is, he does not act in the way that is right. He does not do what is proper to a judge unless he inflicts upon all sin and wrongdoing the penalty it deserves. That's right. So that's the, the wrath of God. It, God is right to be wrathful against sinners because right. it's an affront to his righteousness. And I think our, our problem with God's wrath and righteous judgment, and that even leads into what, you know, the doctrine of hell and the questioning of that even in recent years by prominent professing Christian teachers like Rob Bell yep. and others— our problem with that is that we have a lack of understanding of sin yep. and what true 
righteousness is. Yeah. And, you know, First uh, John says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right. Absolutely holy and morally pure. We are not. Even the strongest and most mature of Christians has the impurity of flesh mm-hmm. running through us. And so our views of true righteousness are always going to be somewhat skewed. And we tend to diminish some sins, elevate others. You know, we have our own scales of what is right and wrong and what there may be sins that cause us all abhorrence and a righteous wrath. You know, if somebody does something against a child, we're all immediately up in arms as we should be. This is this needs to be punished, Mm -hmm. you know. But if we, I don't know, tell somebody a lie. We tend to get over that pretty quickly. And so, and I'm not saying all sin is the same, but what I'm saying is all sin draws from the holy and righteous God the same response of retributive justice. It must be paid for in divine holy wrath. Yeah. And I think it's important to bring this out. God's wrath is not like mankind's wrath. Yes. It isn't, it isn't arbitrary. It isn't whimsical and, and like, um, it isn't, um, what would be some words yeah, that I'm uh, for? It's not born out of out of like a sinful jealousy or right. sinful anger or frustration. Right. It's completely holy and righteous in every way. Yeah, that's right. It is a it is a pure wrath, and not even like the gods of the pagan no. cultures that were just they would get cheat off for any yes. reason, and they'd have to make them happy. Right. That's not God's wrath, it, uh, and especially like because we see God's wrath. Uh, in, in especially like Old Testament context, and I've been reading through the book of Exodus, so I see, uh, I just read the golden calf incident, and you see God's wrath poured out on his people there. You know, he Moses comes down from the mountain, and then the Levites go and slaughter thousands of the Israelites who had worshipped this golden calf. And you think, wow, that's really harsh. Uh, but that that is not a, a, a flim, like a whimsical response, you mm-hmm. know, a, just a off the handle thing. Right. No, that is flying a, off the handle. Flying off not, the handle. Right. No, it is a normal. Resp- it's the righteous response of the holy God. Yeah, it's the natural righteous response of right. the holy God. It's a good way to put it. Uh, one other word before we get into Romans three that we need to talk about in relationship to propitiation, and that's expiation. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to we want to clarify that as well. Um, Expiation. I'm going to read uh, read Packer here. What he says. Uh, he asks, "What's the difference?" He says, "The difference is that expiation means only half of what propitiation means. Expiation is an action that has sin as its object. It denotes the covering, the putting away or rubbing out of sin, so that it no longer constitutes a barrier to friendly fellowship between man and God. Propitiation, however, in the Bible denotes all that expiation means and the pacifying of the wrath of God thereby." So, like we're uh, a, a way to think about this, a, a picture would be uh, in the old under the old covenant on the day of atonement, there'd be uh, an, a, a lamb. They'd place their hands on this, and and all the sins would be put onto that, and then be sent out into the into the wilderness. And that it was the idea of the, the putting away of sin. And then there would be the the blood that would be shed. There'd be that the the propitiation, which is the averting of the wrath. Yeah. Uh, but but the problem is, is those things never fully satisfied right, yeah. God's wrath. They never fully put away yeah. sin. And I think on the Day of Atonement, te- most technically it was goats, right? Goats, yeah. And so sorry. you had a you had one goat that they would lay their hands on, and they would send that goat out yes. into the wilderness. 
carrying away the sins. Yes. I think of that as expiation. Yes. And then the other would be slaughtered. That yeah. is propitiation. Yes. Um, and he brings that out in the book as well. And I think that's a good picture of what we're dealing with here. Yeah. So when we think about expiation, it's the uh, rubbing away of the sins, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the expiate that but that only that doesn't satisfy in the sense uh, God's wrath right and that is where the blood of Christ which represents the 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 massacre that happened to Christ and mm-hmm. the sacrifice of Christ the bloody death of Christ at the cross where he was absorbing the wrath of God as well so you have those two aspects of the cross and the reason you have to bring that up with expiation is there have been scholars in recent history uh CH Dodd being one who believe that we're misunderstanding propitiation, that God doesn't have the kind of wrath we're talking about, and that the New Testament writers, when they think about the word propitiation, were thinking, and, and thinking of that Greek word group, they were thinking of expiation or a covering, right? And right. like, um, and so I think the NIV is one of the translations that uses hmm. expiation. I could be wrong on that. Yeah. I should have looked it up for I'm it. I'm not sure. Uh, but at any rate, so we need to understand what propitiation means, and we think it is has to do with directly with God's wrath and the satisfaction of God's wrath at the cross. Right. And one of the places you get that, because it's used four times in the Bible, we won't take the time to look at each of those, but the one place is in Romans 3. And uh, a little bit of the structure of Romans is helpful. In Romans 1 and verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And from that verse on, all the way through till chapter 3, verse 21, Paul is building his case against human beings, both Jew and Gentiles, and putting them all under the condemnation of sin. He's saying all are sinners uh, and deserve God's righteous judgment. All our sinners under God's righteous wrath, which remember is his righteous response to sin and deserving of punishment. Okay. And he builds his case uh, against uh, the nations in general in verse one or chapter one, chapter two, he hones in on the Jewish people. And, and then he says in chapter three, in the beginning of it, that there's no way to appease God's wrath Uh, through keeping the law. That's not the answer. There's no way to be declared righteous by God by keeping the law. And that's where the good news of verse 21 comes in in chapter 3. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, what he's talking about here is that declaration of righteousness. We want to be declared righteous before God. That's not going to come from the law. It comes through the atonement of Christ, mm-hmm. essentially. And the fact that when we believe in him, we're declared righteous because we're all sinners, right? We all fall short of the glory of God, and we're only going to be justified by grace. But then he says in verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is uh, where we start talking about the cross and how that's going to apply to this, okay? And he says, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
So you even picture that, that uh, the imagery of that. What has God done? And the author brings out, uh, J.I. Packer brings out that point that one way God's wrath and anger were different than the pagan gods is that God himself provides the propitiation. And the idea is he has this wrath towards sinners, but what does he do? He puts his son forward on the cross as the propitiation. So Jesus on the cross is absorbing that wrath. On the other side of that cross is us, and the wrath isn't coming to us. It's being all absorbed in that cross. He put him forward as a propitiation by his blood, and we receive that by faith so that when we believe in Jesus, the results of that propitiation are ours. So we sing in All I Have is Christ. Um, he bore the wrath reserved for me. Now all I know is grace. Yeah. That's the idea. Packer says regarding, uh, this is one of his points, that propitiation is the work of God himself. He says, in paganism, man propitiates his God, and religion becomes a form of commercialism and indeed of bribery. In Christianity, however, God propitiates his wrath by his own action. Yeah, and this is so important because when we realize we're sinners, even still as Christians, we we tend to think that, okay, man, I've sinned and God's so angry with me and there's wrath there and things, and how am I going to make him happy? Well, I'll make him happy by doing good. I'll make him happy by doing my devotions every day and going to church. But we have to understand, um, the only way to be right with God and have him pleased with us is through what he has already done for us in Christ. And so it's always that looking to Jesus, what he has done, right? Yeah, and the other thing I think about that too, and this goes to what we were talking about earlier with people struggling with the wrath of God, uh, it's it's amazing to consider that that God bore the wrath that he he required yeah and that like that, that totally changes the way that I view God and his wrath yep. it, and and for the Christian it's, it's not something to fear uh, but I rejoice in that in a right. sense that his wrath is absolutely righteous and I don't have to bear it because he bore it for me that's right God propitiated his own wrath yeah right in his son so um and then he says, this was done, putting Jesus forward as a propitiation was done to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God cannot just sweep sin under the rug right. because he has, he's righteous. He has the natural response of righteous wrath that demands retributive justice. Right. Well, if there wasn't the cross of Christ, then God could be open to the charge of injustice by right. just forgiving us right. and not being wrathful towards us for sin. Because that that would mean he's not righteous like he says he is. So to the way God has done this in the atonement is that he satisfied his wrath and the death of his son so that he could be just and the one who justifies ungodly sinful people. And by justifies them, we mean declare them righteous, forgive them of their sins, and, you know, give them the righteousness of Christ. Well, he can't just do that to guilty sinners. The retributive justice had to be satisfied. His wrath had to be satisfied. And that's how he, why he put Christ forward. And, and to add on to, so Paul says that, that phrase in, in verse 25 uh, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he'd passed over former sins. That passing over former sins, like you're saying, is, is not just his sweeping it under the rug. 
through the sacrificial system in, under the Old Covenant, through the means that God had provided, the, the sacrifices that were never perfect, that could fully atone, that was his divine forbearance, looking forward to the day that Christ would come and that God's wrath would be fully satisfied. That's right. And I think about even like David. Um, when you think about passing over former sins, God shows us in the, in, under the, in the Old Testament these men and women who are great sinners— and here was David, a man over God's own heart, committed adultery, had someone murdered. Um, I mean, it was just horrific. And that cries out for justice. Something needs to be done about that. You can't just sweep that under the rug. Uh, and uh, and so Christ, though, all that whole time, those sacrifices are pointing to that one perfect sacrifice of Christ uh, in which that wrath for David's sins was going to be satisfied in him. And now we're looking back at Christ's sacrifice, understanding that all of our sins, past, present, future, were absorbed in the person of Christ on the cross, were propitiated. So now we just know grace from God, and and we can experience his unending and eternal love. Okay, so we're going to bring this to to close with one other passage, and really as we're thinking about the unending eternal love of God and the wrath of God and how do we reconcile these things. First John chapter 4, verse 8, John writes, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That passage right there combines all of these things together. We see that God is love, and yet at the same time we see God is wrath as well, but yet Jesus is the propitiation, the uh, the appeasement, if you would, of the, of God's wrath, and in that we see God's love demonstrated so clearly. Yeah, and some that struggle with the concept of God's wrath as opposed to his love, I think they're failing to see that the greatest place in which his love yes. was demonstrated, his love for us, for sinners, was demonstrated, is in the fact that he sent his son to be the propitiation right. for our sins, that he, that God has satisfied his own wrath in his own son. And that, according to John, is the biggest demonstration of love to yeah. us. And then to add this to what John is talking about there, Verse 11, he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I think the practical application to propitiation yeah. is that all of the animosity and uh, or the, all of the wrath of God towards our sins was absorbed in Jesus because of his great love, and it springs out of that we should love one another. Yeah. And the sin when we sin against one another, when there are issues, we need to learn to love one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. Why? Right. We forgive one another as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven yeah. us. And this happens in relationships in the church, relationships in the home, yeah. relationships with your extended family. We demonstrate this when we when we love one another. As right. And this is why God will. Uh, Paul will say. Put away wrath. Yeah. Put away all wrath and clamor and malice. Put that out of the body of Christ um, as God has done that towards us in Christ. And so it's all we live our lives together out of the cross. And so this is how important the atonement is. It's going to inform how we live our lives. It's going to inform how we minister and love to one another in the church. And uh, it all springs out of what God has done for us in Jesus. Yeah. Well, we hope this conversation has been helpful for 
not only people that are in our church first, and then if you're outside of our church, we hope it's been helpful for you as well. Uh, we would encourage you, go buy a copy of this book, In My Place, Condemned He Stood, uh, Celebrating the Glory of the Atonement. We'll put a link to it in the notes. Buy it. Read it along with us. Uh, read the first chapter, The Heart of the Gospel, and then for next week, uh, read chapter two. And then as you listen to us discuss it, you'll be able to to uh, know what we're talking about more clearly, maybe have some other thoughts. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you about what you're reading, what you're gleaning from that, or if you have further questions about what we've talked about or we've not clarified things, you can always email us at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. Or as we also like to say, you can just come up and talk to us. So until next time.